good morning. It's again glad to be back. I'm glad to be back with you all after a time away. I was telling folks as I came in, this is, uh, I loved vacation. It was good. I was excited to see you all. I missed you guys, and it's good to be back. And so it's good to be here to bring God's word to you this morning. Uh, we're going to be looking at Genesis chapter 18. We're back into the story of Abraham. And I thought, Ruth, your little statement about laughter was perfect because that is the exact text that we were looking at this morning. Uh, we're going to see how Sarah laughs, but we're going to see much more than that. Um, this is an interesting text on a lot of fronts because it is, it's a unique and odd text. We have these three visitors. The Lord himself is amongst them and comes and visits Abraham. Um, and Abraham shows this lavish hospitality to these three visitors. And then in the midst of that, uh, the, 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 the Lord speaks and reminds them of God's gracious promise that indeed Sarah would give birth. And then we have that laughter scene and a little dialogue about that laughter. We'll look at that, but it's just an interesting component. We've just come away from this covenant-making ceremony of circumcision and, the, and that uh, expression of faith uh, that we see in Abraham and, and uh, his family. And the promise is reiterated about the son. And then we move into this weird situation where these three visitors come, strangers, and the hospitality of the children. And then from there we move into one of the most difficult, challenging parts of, of Genesis, which is the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. And how these angels go and visit. The same angels that visited Abraham go and visit Sodom. They go into Lot's house. And how they're shown... Instead of hospitality, hostility. And it's a great contrast between our story here. And I think that's part of what we see is, is this hospitality pictured for us in this passage. In contrast to the hostility of Sodom and Gomorrah. But we'll get to Sodom and Gomorrah in the weeks to come. But today we want to look at Genesis chapter 18. We're going to look at the first 15 verses. So if you would turn with me in your Bibles or into, in your bulletins, we'll read uh, this passage of scripture. Hear God's word. And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre, as he sat at the door of the tent in the heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, O Lord, if I found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought, and wash your feet, and rest yourselves under the tree, while I bring a morsel of bread, that you may refresh yourselves, and after that you may pass on, since you have come to your servant. Since you have, So they said, Do as you have said. And Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah, and said, Quick, three, quick, three sayas of fine flour, knead it, and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf tender and good and gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. Then he took curds and milk, the calf that he had prepared, and set it before them, and he stood by them under the tree while they ate. And they said to him, Where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, She's in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I'm worn out and my, Lord, and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, 
Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I didn't laugh, for she was afraid. And he said, No, but you laughed. <laughs> you did laugh. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity to sit under it. To be reminded of the grace of God in the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, I ask for your help as I preach. Lord, that you would use me despite my weakness and sin. That you would proclaim the wonders of your mercy and grace. Through my words, I ask. For I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Humankind, I think, has always had a fascination with exploring places, right? Um, especially places that are extremely dangerous. <laughs> Thus, we have people climb to the top of mountains like Everest or explore the deepest of the world's oceans. Or they rocket into space and land on the moon. I suppose Mars is next. Is that the, is that the thing? Maybe they go back to the moon and then to Mars. I don't know. Of course... The problem with all of these locations is what? They're, they're inhospitable. They're not habitable. They can't sustain life. So what happens is the, the people go with special equipment and special suits, supplemental oxygen, and they would go there. Without those, they would die. But they go, and some don't survive. Even with all of the precautions, some don't survive in their bold attempt to go where no man has gone before. They're inhospitable places, uninhabitable places where there is little to no life. Now, contrast that with a home, right? The ideal home. It's meant to be the exact opposite. It's meant to be a place where you go to rest, where you go to eat, where you go to be welcomed in instead of putting on your space suit you take off your shoes you sit back you kick up your feet you relax you receive hugs and kisses food and drink you find love and warmth that's that's the ideal rather than being dangerous it's meant to be safe it's meant to be welcoming and i realize that for some of us that isn't the case there are some homes that are not like that nevertheless it's meant to be that it's meant to be a refuge a place of life a habitable place, a hospitable place. But here's the thing. Hospitality is more than sharing good food with friends. In fact, hospitality, the idea of hospitality is at the very heart of God's gracious love to us in Christ. In other words, the gospel itself flows out of a hospitable heart. God's heart. The gospel, the good news, flows out of a hospitable heart. And this is what I want to reflect on this morning. To examine this topic, I want to ask three questions of the, of the text and of ourselves. Uh, the first question is, to whom are we, are we supposed to show hospitality? Who is it that we're, to, we're called to show hospitality to? Second how? How do we do this? How do we show hospitality? And then finally, uh, why? 
why. And I want to get to that gospel message of why we show hospitality as we look at the hospitality of God. But first, to whom do we show hospitality? It's quite easy for us to show hospitality to some people and not other people. Uh, there's some people we love to get together with that we will play in nights around, that we will, we will set aside life for. Not so others, right? Not so others. Family, friends, church members, show us some hospitality too. Others are difficult. Some, in fact, seem downright impossible to us. So where are the lines? Who is it to whom we're supposed to or should show hospitality to? But where are those lines where it's okay? You can wash your hands and say, that person is outside. They, they don't need God's hospitality. They don't need my hospitality. They're beyond the pale. Where are the lines? Our text this morning opens with these words. And the Lord, that is Yahweh, we see Lord used in different ways here, but Yahweh appeared to him, that is to Abraham, by the oaks of Mamre as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. Moses, the narrator of these events, gives us a behind-the-curtain view of what really is going on here. Uh, This is no ordinary chance meeting. This is the Lord visiting Abraham. He's already done it a few times, but now he's doing it in this unique way. The Lord himself, Yahweh, has come. The King of kings and Lord of lords. But in verse 2, we switch perspectives. In verse 2, what we see is not the perspective of Moses or, or the reader, but rather Abraham's own perspective. What we see is, behold... There were three people standing in front of him at his door. A little ways away because he had to run to them. But, it, but all of a sudden, there were these three people, these three strange strangers. He lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, there they were. Maybe he was uh, taking a siesta. Maybe he was taking a mid-afternoon nap. I imagine that would be probably a case in a hot-weather climate like that, where they would that would be their time of rest. They were unexpected. He didn't have time to prepare. He hadn't gotten them on his calendar. He hadn't planned in advance exactly the days they were going to be in town. They were unexpected. He was confronted with them. And there is no indication that he knew them. Uh, He doesn't call them by name. He doesn't even necessarily treat them uh, in, in some special way, I would say, even though it seems it is special. But it's distinct from how he talks to the Lord elsewhere. So I'm not sure that he knew them. Now the text says that he bowed down before them, and particularly one of them, and he said, Oh Lord, if I've found favor in your sight, don't pass by your servants. So you might be saying, Rob, well that seems pretty special. He's bowing. He's calling them Lord. Um, I, 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 I know I'm sometimes dangerous ground debating with the text as it stands in our ESV, but... Most of the translations actually have my Lord. Maybe that doesn't seem like a big distinction, but if you have your KJV or your NASV or your NIV, uh, they use the language my Lord. Um, And I point that out because as we come to the New Testament, there is a verse in Hebrews that addresses this chance encounter. In chapter 13, verse 2, The writer of Hebrews says this. He says, don't neglect to show hospitality to strangers. Why? Because you might have entertained angels unawares. Right? 
seems to be indicating that Abraham didn't realize who these messengers quite were. Now, that doesn't mean he didn't treat them with dignity or respect. We'll come to that in a minute. But I do think that he didn't know them. That's my point. I don't think Abraham realized that he was entertaining angels or the angel of the Lord himself. It's like the disciples on the road to Emmaus who didn't recognize Jesus. I think Abraham similarly didn't recognize his guests. He was unaware, at least until the Lord spoke later about the birth of Isaac, his son, or at some point in there. But even if you believe that he recognized right, right away that indeed this was the Lord, and some commentators think that, even if you do say that, it doesn't ultimately matter. He treats them in a way that I think is how we ought to treat all guests in our hospitality. He runs to them. Let's, let's look at that. He treats them with dignity and respect. Look, he runs to them. He doesn't know them. They just appear at his doorstep. He runs to them. He bows to them. He invites them to stay. In fact, he pleads with them not to leave. How easy would it have been for him to stay seated in the doorstep? It was a hot day. He could have feigned like he was still taking his nap. Everyone was probably resting. And you can imagine this. I'm, I'm, I'm guessing you can picture this because we've all had the doorbell ring when we're at home and we have our feet kicked up and we're enjoying some nice food and refreshment and maybe the game is on and all of a sudden we have an unexpected doorbell ring, right? Six, seven o'clock, it's our chill time. And you have three choices, usually. You take one of three paths, I'm guessing. One of these three paths. You know, here's... The likelihood, right? It's somebody wants to sell something to you. That's the most likely scenario at that time around 5, 6, 7 o'clock at night. If somebody rings your doorbell, they want to sell something to you. So you have three choices. One, you pretend you're not home, especially if you're alone, right? You just get real quiet. You crawl to a back room. You don't turn any lights on. You act like you're not home. Second one, you go to the door annoyed. You shoo the person away. We're not interested. Thank you. And you get rid of them as quickly as possible. Right? That's, that's pretty common. Third choice, maybe you do this. You go, you talk to their stranger, you hear them out. Right? Those are your three choices. So you take option one, you slink away, or you take option two, the usual choice, I would say, especially with solicitors, and you're sort of polite, but you say, we're not interested. And then option three, well, option three is how you end up with solar panels. Right? I don't think Abraham does any of this. He does none of these three things. He runs to the guests and invites them to stay. Now you might say, well, even if he didn't recognize them as heavenly emissaries, maybe he at least recognized them as important persons. After all, he calls them Lord and he refers to himself as their servant and he bows before them. And I, okay, maybe, maybe he recognized them as significant persons. Maybe that's the case. Or, or maybe this was the way that he was raised to treat people. Maybe this is what he was taught. Either way, we're not given the information of exactly how those three men appeared. All we know is that they were strangers and they were three men. And I think here's the important piece 
the important component of Christian hospitality, it doesn't discriminate. Christian hospitality is indiscriminate. And one of the most terrifying passages of Scripture, one of the most terrifying, if you want to go read a terrifying passage, go to Matthew chapter 25. In that passage, you have the parable of the sheep and the goats. And if that doesn't terrify you, that's a problem. It ought to. It ought to shake you. You'll remember this, this story, the parable of the sheep and the goats, because the king in this story, in this parable, responds to both the sheep and the goats. And he responds to the sheep first. And he says, uh, you know, he gives them all sorts of blessing because they had cared for him and all his needs. And they asked him, well, Lord, when did we see you when you were hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you in? Or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king answered that because he's lavishing on them all the blessings of heaven. And he, and he says, the blessings of his kingdom. And he says, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. And what does he say to the goats on his left? They're like, Lord, when did we see you sick? We would have run to you. We would have bowed before you. We would have opened our home if we saw you coming. When did we see you when, when you had all these needs? And he said, the opposite, right? You, when you didn't do this to the least, when you didn't care for the least of these, when you didn't welcome the stranger in. And what does he say to those goats? For that reason, you're going to burn in the fires of hell. one of the hardest passages in all of scripture. From the least to the greatest, there is not one person for whom we can say hospitality is not for them. Rosaria Butterfield in her book, The Gospel Comes with a House Key, describes hospitality this way. Radically ordinary hospitality is this. Using your Christian home in a daily way that seeks to make strangers neighbors and neighbors, family of God. It brings glory to God, serves others, and lives out the gospel in word and in deed. I don't have time to unpack everything she says there, but I do commend or recommend the book to you. Um, I have to admit, it's an uncomfortable read. If you've read it before, you know what I'm talking about. And it may challenge some of your sensibilities, yet I think it helps sort of flesh out some of these ideas of hospitality. But what I want to focus in here, so that's my recommendation to you, to pick up the book. But the thing that I want to notice in this definition that she has is that hospitality seeks to make strangers neighbors and neighbors the family of God. I think it's somewhat easy for us to bring our friends and our family into our life. It's a whole other thing to take a stranger and bring them into our family. Hmm. That's hard. But this is at the very heart of the gospel. Mm -hmm. Who were we, yeah. brothers and sisters? Yeah. We were strangers and aliens, outsiders to the promise of faith. Abraham, who was he? He was, he was a pagan living in Ur of the Chaldeans. He was nobody. He was a stranger... And yet God met him. But more than just being strangers and aliens, we were hostile 
enemies of God himself. Poor, needy, lowly, with nothing to offer in return, and we rejected God. And God, God brought us into his family, into the household of faith, and blessed us with every spiritual blessing. What right do we have to withhold that from any person? What right? To whom am I called to show hospitality? Strangers, neighbors, poor, rich, people from every tribe, tongue, and nation, young, old, every broken sinner. But this brings up a second question because it's one thing to talk hospitality, 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 but what is hospitality? Like, what does it look like? We some have some ideas of what hospitality is, but what does gospel hospitality look like? How do we show it? Well, let me look at Abraham's hospitality and take some lessons from this. And then at the end, we'll come to God's hospitality. But I want to look at Abraham's, Abraham's hospitality. The first thing I want to notice is it's humble hospitality. Humble hospitality. Notice Abraham's posture. Right? We've already talked about it. He runs to these strangers. He bows down on the ground. He calls them Lord. And he says, I am your servant. Don't leave. These are strangers, and he treats them like kings. The truth is, I think, and I'm speaking to myself, the truth is, I think, we think too highly of ourselves. We just do. And this, this obviously, this issue of pride extends to every facet of our hearts and lives. It, it just does, right? But, but it affects us in our hospitality as well. And we have subtle modes of it, right? With folks that are, have less than us, with folks that are in need, the poor, the needy, we, we, we tend to want to care for them. And this is good Christian impulse. This is scriptural impulse. We want to show them love and care, and we want to give them what they need. And nothing is wrong with that. That's, that's good. That's a call to love the poor and the needy and to care for their needs. It's not the act that, that's problematic for us. It's not where we run into trouble. It's our posture. It's how we think about that person when they come to our door. How we think about people in need. We suddenly look down on them. Less than someone to be helped, an opportunity for good works, something to feel good about ourselves. We turn them into projects instead of seeing them as persons. Abraham sees three men journeying from somewhere to somewhere. He is enjoying a siesta in his home, basking in the promised blessing of God. They're in need of refreshment and care. Yet instead of Singing that Little Mermaid song, Poor Unfortunate Souls. Right? He prostrates himself and treats them as royal guests in his home. Of course, that's what they were, right? That gets exactly to that Matthew 25 passage and that Hebrews passage. You could be entertaining angels. You don't even know it. But this is exactly what the king does the sheep do they're treating people like royalty and he says you were treating me and you didn't even know it another way to put this is that every 
one you come in contact with is an image bearer of the great king. Every person you see, every person from the littlest Luke to the oldest saint, to the foreigner, to the stranger, to the sinner, to the broken person at your door who's asking for help is an image bearer of the Most High. They're full of dignity and worth. And as Paul exhorts the Philippians, we ought to consider them as more significant than ourselves. After all, this is not the mind of Christ, who enjoyed all the glory of heaven, didn't consider that equality with God a thing to be held on to, but emptied himself. The king of glory put himself beneath us that he might love us and welcome us into his home. What about you and I? Where does that put us? Humble hospitality. But there's, there's a second way in which we subtly have pride, and that is, that is even with people that are greater than us, right? We, we look at them, they have everything. We, we think of them as somebody to be, to be causal up to. Like it, it's more of a transactional relationship. We think, well, if I do something nice for them, then I'll get what they have. Or, or maybe we resent them. We're like, well, they're rich and you know, they don't need help. They don't need love. They don't need welcoming. They have the world. Christ made no distinctions. No distinctions. Humble hospitality in both situations. But it's not just a humble hospitality. It's a costly hospitality. Costly hospitality. Notice the text. There are details in the text that would have, I think, shocked the earliest audience of the text. Remember, there are three visitors. Three. And then... He, that is Abraham, runs to his house and goes to Sarah and says, go get, how many? Three sayas of fine flour, presumably one for each. Now, a saya is about uh, seven quarts. Now, I'm not a baker. I am not a baker, but 21 quarts of flour seems like a lot of bread. He said, I'll bring you a morsel. All right? And here he is, he takes not just any flour, he takes the finest flour. You know, there was probably flour mixed in with chaff over on that side. It says, no, sift it again, sift it again, sift it again. These are royal guests. Not only that, but then he took his choicest calf, tender and good, the text says. This is no tough old goat, right? He's not going out and saying, okay, you know, how we might go to the grocery store for a barbecue, like, okay, it's just Aaron and I. You know, we're getting the porterhouse steaks. We're getting, you know, the nice slice of tuna. We're gonna, we're gonna grill that up. But you know, when we have a bunch of kids over, it's like hot dogs. <laughs> he took the choices, meat, the best that he had. But it's not just the amount. It's not just the quality of the food. It's the effort. Do you notice? Okay, they did it. it. It all just appeared to them. Like these men were there. He runs to them. He runs back in the house. And he says, let's go. Like fire up the ovens. We got to get moving. He goes to his his uh, his herdsman and said, let's go get that calf. You know, I don't know all that's involved in that. But I promise you it's a lot of work. 
They were making sacrifices. Sacrifices for these royal guests. Now, before you go and put yourself into debt to have a feast with your neighbors, what I want us to notice is not necessarily the lavishness of the spread, but the generosity of the spirit of Abraham. In God's providence, we all, all of us, have different means. That's a wonderful thing. We also have different gifts and different things to give. Some of us can host lots of people, some few. Some of us, maybe we can't have people in our home for whatever reason. Some of us can flex our work. Some of us have inflexible jobs we cannot neglect. Some of us struggle to make ends meet. And some of us have plenty. God dispenses his great gifts differently. But within our means, we can all show costly hospitality. What does that mean? It may mean restructuring your life and your schedule so that you have space and time for people. It may mean saying, you know what? My family loves to do X. We do X every week, but we're not going to do X every week anymore. We're going to open that space up. It's a favorite mantra of the upper middle class New Englander uh, to say, man, I'm so busy. It is our mantra. I am so busy. How's your week? I was so busy. We almost wear it like a badge, right? It's like a sign of success. I'm busy. Or is it to avoid the burden of hospitality? Hospitality costs. It costs time. It costs money. It costs our life. It also infringes on the nuclear family. I love my family. We love to spend time together. You know, not every family is like this, but I could spend tons of time with my family and be happy. I love my kids. I love my wife. We love to be together. We love to do things together. To go back to Butterfield's definition, to make strangers neighbors and neighbors the family of God, the question is, how do you move somebody from neighbor to family of God? And I would argue one of the most powerful means of gospel witness is to bring strangers and neighbors into the family of God here, but also into your family, into your homes, where they see you living life as a Christian, praying together, talking about God together, living life, eating, laughing, having fun, fighting, sometimes messiness of life, but bringing them into that world. Not just to chit-chat, not just for those neighborly pleasantries, but to show them Jesus. But I do think it's not just your personal family. Maybe you're single and you're like, well, how does this affect me? Well, we are a family here. We've seen send family out. It's like kids growing up and going off. We brought family in. We're family. And I think it's significant to think about us creating a place and a space that is hospitable, full of life. Hospitable, full of life, full of refreshment, full of food, full of fellowship, but above all, full of that humble love. I could talk for a long time about practically how you might do this, and I think this is an opportunity for you to go out and talk along those lines with your 
with your friends here and your family members and to talk about how do we become more hospitable. I'll leave that to you. But we can say till the cows come home that we ought to show hospitality to all without distinction and that our hospitality ought to be humble and it ought to be costly. But we won't actually begin to show such hospitality until we see this as at the very heart of God in the gospel. If we don't understand that, we will not be hospitable. Period. Why do we show humble, costly hospitality? It's quite simple. Because we've been shown humble, costly hospitality in the gospel. These men visited. This was no happenstance visit. They didn't just walk down the street and see Abraham at his doorstep. They came to meet Abraham. See, at the end of the day, it wasn't Abraham offering hospitality, but this was the visitation of God to make a relationship and a family. This was about bringing Abraham into the household of God. It was God visiting. This is why when they are sitting and talking over the meal, they ask, where is Sarah? Because there was a great joyous proclamation to make. Angels come to make proclamations. We see that in the New Testament. Right? Angels come to make these wonderful proclamations, usually around the birth of a child. Mary, Elizabeth, here, Sarah. Yep, more and more. So, there's a promise. But this wasn't, you know, Abraham will meet these men, and those men will eventually move on, and they'll show hospitality for a time. But God is entering into relationship. He's walking in to make this promise of blessing. And that, this is something about our homes. They ought to be a place of blessing. Like when you bring somebody into your home, you want them to feel like they've left blessed. What is it? Whatever that looks like in your household, do that. But that's what they do. They come in and they bless. They say, we're going to make a joyous proclamation. Sarah, this time next year, we're going to visit again. And you're going to have a son. You're going to have a son. Now, that, now here's, the, here's the problem Sarah, right? She laughs to herself. She laughs. Why does she laugh? Because it's the most improbable, unlikely, ridiculous thing that she could ever dream of. She has lost hope that this could even be a thought in her mind. Yeah, sure, Abram, you've said this before. You've been saying it for 10 years. I don't believe it. It's not possible. This is the wonder of the gospel. The most improbable, the most impossible, the most unlikely scenario has come to pass. That God, in his wondrous grace and love and mercy to you, drew near to you and invited you into his home, despite the fact that you're a wretched sinner who hated him. Despite the fact that you rejected him. Despite the fact that you continue to break his law. Despite the fact that he's holy and righteous. He's the creator of the universe. Despite all of that, he condescends and he comes down and he says, I want you as mine. Come in. Come into my household. And friend, if you're here today and you've, you've not yet put your trust and faith in Christ. And you feel like an alien and stranger today as you sit here and you're like, what are you talking about? I can, I can almost guarantee that you know what it's like to feel alone 
and to feel like a stranger in a strange land. And what God offers to you is a home, a place to belong, a family and a people that love, that are marked by grace, empowered by the Spirit, and are destined for glory and eternal life. If you don't know that, I encourage you, put your trust in Jesus. He's opened his arms to you. And that's improbable. How could we not laugh? We can get hard, get, you look down on Sarah for her lack of faith, but the reality is it's the most improbable thing in all the earth. And what God does is, is so godlike. He takes her and says, you know, why did you laugh? Oh, I didn't laugh. <laughs> oh, oh, yes, you, you laughed. But then he meets him. He promises and meets her next year. And what happens is she gives birth to a son, and his son is named Laughter. Why? Because the joy of seeing God's provision and salvation in the person of this little baby. How much more was the greater son, Jesus, who came down from heaven? How much more ought we to laugh and rejoice as you think about hospitality in your own home? Here's my encouragement. Bring people in. Show them the wonders of the gospel. Laugh with them at the craziness that God would love a sinner like you and me and like them. Rejoice in the Lord who welcomes us into his house. And consider what that means. That it's a, it's a heart of hospitality. God's heart of hospitality that flows out with the gospel and says, Come, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Come, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Come, and I will be your father. You will be my son. What a joyous truth that through Christ Jesus we have this life. Hospitality. Let's pray.